Good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to Ecclesia as we enter into our December season. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, as Bertram said, my name is Michael. And um, we're entering a, a new season, just a short season on Christmas messages. And the messages are, 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 are relate to the gifts that um, the wise men brought to Jesus. And I'm going to be kicking us off with the gift of gold. So the actual series is um, a, a gift of significance. So hopefully, I've not been in the pulpit since, I think, uh, August, apart from a little teeny one, yeah, Denzel smile, a little teeny one in our training at LCM, which last, was meant to last 10 minutes, but I went on for about 13, 14 minutes. So hopefully, I'm going to teach for one hour, but hopefully I won't go on for about two or three. <laughs> I'm just joking. People getting ready to leave. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hopefully I won't stumble too much. I won't get into a position like um, Boris, Johns Boris Johnson that he lost all his notes and everything and started making pepper Pig noises to... Uh, <laughs> Ent entertain the crowd. Hopefully that won't be me today. So, Christians and non-Christians alike, we don't treat Jesus as valuable. If we did, our lives would be very different. Have you ever received a Christmas gift and felt as though the person that gave it to you was trying to tell you something? I read the story of a daughter that said everything her mother ever got her was either two sizes too small or horrendously unflattering. How about the husband whose wife serves up meat and two veg most weeks? He buys her a Levi Roots reggae reggae cookbook. What is he trying to tell her? Someone gives you a book on Better parenting. For our Jamaican viewers, you pick me them rude. <laughs> how about a book on how to win friends and influence people? How about that person that gets you a, a soap set every year? Now, we're not talking luxury soap sets. We're talking a six-pack of Dettol. Hold on. <laughs> toothbrush, toothpaste, and a bottle of CB12. Anyone know what CB12 is? It's uh, like a breath neutralizer. <laughs> Sorry. I've used it. I've used it. I've used it. I hold my hands up. I've used it. So as we enter into the Christmas season... We're going to be looking at the three gifts, like I said, that the Magi gave to Jesus. Gifts of, frank gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and ultimately what they said about him. So today, I'm going to be kicking us off with the gift of gold. I'm going to be sharing from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, for the sake of time, because you know the announcements went on a bit... <laughs> 
So for the sake of time... <laughs> so for the sake of time, and not wanting to repeat myself... <laughs> Sorry, B. I love you, brother. I love you, brother. But man's got to crack a couple of jokes to warm up the crowd, yeah? <laughs> so as I go through my um, sermon, I will endeavour to read through all the texts, all the verses. So every verse will be covered. I'm not going to miss any of the verses out. So let's call and um, pray before um, I start to, to share. So if you've got your Bibles, your apps, your phones, um, turn with me to Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12, and you can follow along as I go through the verses. So let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of laughter, the gift of community with brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that as I share today, Lord, that you will speak through me, Lord, that your words would, would come out in my sermon, Lord, that I would move away and that you would take my place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we're going to look at some fascinating stuff that if you just read through these verses, you wouldn't get the whole picture of what's going on. So who were these wise men? The original word for wise men is magi. It's where we get our word magician from. Now used in a bad sense, but not so in the original. These men, they were philosophers, priests, and learned men. These wise men were devoted to astronomy, to religion, to the study of sacred writings, and to the pursuit of wisdom. They were not kings, but they served as wise counsellors to kings. As astronomers, they studied the stars. These wise men came from the east of Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. So what was a star? Some have suggested a supernova, a comet, or a conjunction of planets. Others believe that it was a supernatural manifestation that can't be explained scientifically or logically. Now that's our position. We should never try and naturalise the supernatural events in the Bible to make them palatable for the sceptic. Things like the virgin birth, the talking donkey, a talking snake, a man in the belly of a fish for three days who survives. You see, the sceptic will say, if the events in the Bible cannot be explained scientifically, naturally, or logically, they must be false. Therefore, the Bible is false. That same sceptic will tell you that the world came into existence from nothing. That nothing caused the Big Bang. Anyway, 
Whatever the star was, the most important thing was that it led them to Jesus. This shows us that God is able to really reveal himself to all peoples and call them to himself. God guided these astronomers by star, by a star, showing us that God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. They were probably familiar with the Old Testament prophecy through their interactions with the Jews in Babylon and remembered Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24:17. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. These wise men traveled eight to nine hundred miles to Jerusalem. They would have left their homes and their families and, and traveled for months. The conduct of these wise men described in this chapter is a great example of spiritual diligence and perseverance. The wise men came to Jesus to worship him. Worship. What is our worship like? I know I can hold my hands up and admit that my worship sometimes is not all that it could be and should be. Think about our worship in serving, in our finances, in our devotional time, in our prayer lives. You know those dry spells when we only pray when we're going through testing times. When we're crippled with money worries. Christmas is around the corner and I have no money to buy gifts. What would my relationship with my wife look like if I never spent any time with her? If I rarely spoke to her, if she was here, she'd probably say, well, that is our relationship, bro. <laughs> no. I know my day never starts well unless I start in prayer. Amen. You see, we can sing worship to our Lord and Savior on a Sunday, and then from Monday to Saturday, worship ourselves. Remember what Jesus said about the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8 and 9. These people, sorry, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commands of men. See, God does, just doesn't want lip service. He wants more than that. What does he want? Deuteronomy 4:29. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search with him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, it's not about words. It's he wants our heart. He wants our souls. Moving on to verse 3 of Matthew 12, of Matthew 2. When Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now Herod. Herod is a fascinating study of what is best and worst in human beings. If I was to make a movie about this counterfeit king, I would, I would cast Danny DeVito to play the role, the role of Herod. Do you know why? 
According to the historian, to historians, Herod was four foot four inches tall and angry all the time. I guess you've not watched any Danny DeVito films. <clears throat> you see, he was short in stature, but he was big in building projects and architecture. Despite his brilliance, Herod had a dark side to his character. It was that fear of potential rivals. He put to death 46 members of the Sanhedrin. He killed his mother-in-law. He feared that his wife, Marianne, was trying to poison him, so he had her killed too. He also killed two of his sons because they thought they were plotting because he thought they were plotting against him. Caesar Augustus said it was safer to be Herod's pig than one of his sons. It gets deeper. When Herod was near death, he knew that no one would mourn his passing. So he came up with an evil plan. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, he had the most distinguished leaders of Jerusalem arrested on false charges. Then, just before his death, Herod said that they were to be put to death. That way, he would know that people would be mourning his death, mourning the day of his death, even though the tears were not for him. Fortunately, when Herod died, no one carried out this barbaric act. Why would that question, where is he, born king of the Jews, strike terror into the twisted, paranoid mind of Herod? Because the Messiah had showed up. The real king of the Jews is on the scene. In his mind, he was the king of the Jews. But Herod was there by appointment of the Romans. Remember, he killed his own family because they, he thought they were a threat to his throne. But why would it also strike fear into all of Jerusalem? Well, when Herod was troubled, everyone around him was troubled. You see, we all know people like that, where you can never tell what mood they're in from one day to the next. You you constantly feel like you're tiptoeing around them, treading on eggshells. Sometimes that's us. We forget that we're supposed to be image bearers of God, a reflection of Jesus. But when we're troubled, everyone around us is troubled. Notice, God seems to delight in doing his greatest works when the opposition is greatest. This should be an encouragement to all of us. Sometimes it may feel like everything is working against us. When things are just going from bad to worst. If that's you, don't give up. Remember, if Jesus could be born in the days of the psychopath Herod and survive, then God can deliver us regardless of how dire our situation may seem. Let's look at verses 4 to 6. 
And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my, my people Israel. You see, here we see a paranoid Herod gather the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, the teachers of the law, the religious elite. He wants to know what the scriptures have to say about the birth of Jesus. They answered Herod by quoting Micah 5.2. That Christ, their long-awaited Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem just five miles away from Jerusalem. These chief priests and scribes gave the right information, but they have the wrong response. They were only five miles away from the Messiah, yet they refused to go and see him. What's the point in understanding Bible prophecy if it, doesn't make a, if it didn't make a difference in their lives? What's the point in reading the Bible if like these religious leaders, we don't apply what it says to our lives. These religious leaders, they want the scripture, but not the saviour. They want the rules, but not the ruler. They were interested in their ministry, but not the Messiah. John 5, 39-40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Like these chief priests and, and scribes, sorry, like these chief priests and scribes, there are religious groups out there who claim to know the scriptures but they deny the Son. They will quote Bible verses, but they fail to see the Son. They have a different Jesus. Sometimes when we speak to people on the streets, they will claim to know Jesus. For them, he is not Lord. He's just a good moral character, an example to us all, a good person. You see, I could claim to, know, to have known Michael Jackson when he was alive. I've got some of his albums. I've watched him on TV. I've even got a signed autobiography of his autobiography, Moonwalk. But did I know him personally? Could I have flown out to Never Neverland and hung out with him and Bubbles? <laughs> Bubbles was his chimpanzee. <laughs> I remember speaking, so obviously I didn't know him like that, so yeah. I remember speaking to a, a, a young man in Lewisham. He said that his parents were Christian and that he grew up in a Christian home. He said, why do you believe that book? It was written by men. He said that he had been reading the Bible 
he'd, been, he'd read the Bible, but at the age of 14, he'd come to the real, realization that in his mind, it was nonsense. I pulled out my Bible. I opened it to Isaiah 51. I asked him to read it. I said, who do you think that is talking about? He went quiet for a moment. He said it would, be, it would seem to be talking about Jesus. I said, brother, that was written over a thousand years before Christ was born. I could see that it had challenged his thinking. That's what the Bible does. It challenges our thinking. And that's why a lot of people don't like it. Verses 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me, that I too may come and worship him. Here we see the heart of Herod. He responded with fear and deception. Herod liked to deal secretly so that others wouldn't see his evil doings and his shortcomings. He didn't want the king of kings to threaten his reign. Later, he would order the killing of all the male children two years... Sorry. All the, all the male children... Under, up to two years old. Such was his paranoia. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. The heart, of the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The lesson here is that no matter how much we try to conceal our actions, God sees and knows everything. Amen. He knows our faults. Let's move on. Verse 9. After, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. You see, they had set their hearts on seeing him, the one who was born king of the Jews. And they were not going to rest until they found him. It would be well for all of us if we were more like the wise men, if we followed their example. Why do I say that? Because we're in the midst of a, a, a generation that is controlled by the evil one who wants to distract us in order to remove our focus from Jesus Christ. First, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In this season, when the focus should be on celebrating Jesus' birth, we see them Christmas B-movies screened on TV. 
advert sprinkled with a Christmas flavouring with the intention of distracting us from the true meaning of Christmas. It is estimated that UK shoppers are set to spend a whopping 84 billion during the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. You see, during the Christmas season, the world will be willing to tolerate the mention of Jesus. They will even tolerate hymns like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Thousands will make their yearly visit to church. We know that right next to the manger scene will be Santa Claus and Rudolph. And outside will be lurking Frosty the Snowman. Hymns like Silent Night will be hijacked and replaced with Santa Claus is coming to town and rocking around the Christmas tree. Moving on, verse 10. When they saw the star, they, great, they, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Herod was not rejoicing. He was troubled and he was scheming. You see, the wicked are too busy doing evil to rejoice and to know joy. Their joy is hollow, unreal, superficial. But when God gives joy, it supersedes anything that the world has to offer. These wise men knew tremendous joy because Jesus was their focus. Where do we find perfect joy? Well, if I have X amount of pounds in the bank, then I'll have perfect joy. If I get that job, if I have that house, I'll have perfect joy. If my team wins on Saturday, the world wants to steal our joy in Jesus and replace it with the things of this world. Things that are temporal and fleeting that will ultimately burn one day. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, he is the key to true joy. There is no true joy outside of Jesus. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Picture the scene. This entourage of wise men who were philosophers, priests and astronomers. These learned men, counsellors and advisors to kings. They kneeled down before this little child, humbling themselves. Bowing down before kings was the usual way of showing it respect. However, this time they went beyond the norm. They didn't just kneel down, they worshipped him. They recognized that he wasn't a mere human being. They were worshiping Jesus as he really is, almighty God in the flesh. 
Let's clarify that from God's word. John 1.1, we all know the verse. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Hebrews 1.6, this is God speaking about Jesus. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, if we pair Hebrews 1.6 with Matthew 4.9, sorry, 4.9 to 10, we see something interesting. This is the devil trying to tempt Jesus. Matthew 4.9 to 10. And he said to them, all these, these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and in him only you shall serve. Do you see that? Now let's rubber stamp it. Here we see God speaking again. Hebrews 1.8 But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness, is the scepter of your kingdom. Now it says they opened their treasures and offered him gifts. One of the gifts was gold, which is my focus. What does gold say about who they thought Jesus was? Jesus is a picture, sorry, Jesus is pictured as the eternal God. That's why they gave him gold. He is an eternal being. One of the properties of gold is it never rusts. The book of Revelation tells us that our eternal heaven will be paved with streets of gold. Gold is a picture of the Godhead. Gold represents eternity because gold does not rust. Because God does not rust. Gold is a gift given to a king in recognition of his reign, his royalty. It speaks of his right to rule. Gold is for kings. It's a symbol of his kingship on earth. Question. What about the gifts that we give? It's that picture of giving something of value. What would your gift be? What does Jesus mean to you, brothers and sisters? How much is Jesus worth? You see, their gifts were given to a person they knew was not normal who was supernatural, it was something of value. Do we give our best gifts to Jesus or do we give him our leftovers? Do we use our gifts to serve him? Or do we save our best gifts for the world, for our jobs, for our careers, for our education? The easiest way to look at it is Jesus wants you. Not just bits of you, but all of you. Everything that comes. Give him you. He wants your gold. Don't just give your best. Give everything. Your all. 
Some of us may be in a season where we're not giving Jesus anything at all. Maybe we don't treat Jesus as valuable. Gold is valuable. When we look at their wise men, they gave their best gifts and their treasures to Jesus. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These men were obedient to the Lord's warning in a dream. And they went back another way. As followers of Jesus, your life might take on a different direction. Is the Lord trying to, to, to take you in a different direction and you're resisting? He may be calling you to leave your job because the environment that you're working in is slowly but surely pulling you away from him. Pulling you into the world. Pulling you into their dynamics, into their, their mindsets, into their worldview. Maybe it's that person that you want to marry that's not right for you. Maybe he's calling you to move. Now, as some of you know here, I've started a job in full-time ministry. And soon, the Lord will be calling me to move out of my borough and into another borough. Not out of the church. <laughs> I spent years renovating my house. Renovating my house. I'll soon be in a position where I can kick back, relax, put my feet up from all my toy. My toy. Toil. <laughs> Maybe toys, yeah. Maybe that's what I do all day, just play with toys. I have to be prepared to leave it behind. If the Lord was calling you to move in a different direction, would you be obedient to his leading? You see, the Magi left Bethlehem by another way. They had hears to hear the supernatural warning and took a divinely directed detour. Thought. I wonder if we are as wise as these Magi. You see, so many times... God gives us clear warning to stay clear of some place, some person, or something. And like a stubborn mule, we go headlong into that place, to that person, or to that thing, around which we were warned to take a detour. Once again, we see God's sovereign hand orchestrating events in men's life to assure that his will is accomplished. Someone said to me recently that God has this interesting way of working in your life without you even knowing it. Final thoughts. While we're busy giving and receiving presents this Christmas, we should concentrate on the greatest gift of all. The gift from God, his son. You see, after, after all, when the Christmas meal has been eaten and friends have gone their separate ways, Jesus will still be the bread of life. When the lights on the Christmas tree have been removed and the decorations boxed up, Jesus will still be the light of the world.
when the Christmas gifts have been handed out and people are grumbling about what they received, Christ will still be God's perfect gift to the church. If you've never trusted in him as your saviour, the thing he most desires from you is a believing heart. Why not put your faith in Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross so that you can be saved from your sin? A good question we might ask ourselves is this. If Jesus is to be king in my life, then I am challenged with this thought. What gold can I bring to Jesus this Christmas? This Christmas... Give your all to Christ because he gave his all for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your message that penetrates our hearts, Father God. Pray that we'd be wise to your leading, Father God. Thank you for helping me to stumble through this message, Lord, and to remove some of that rust that has been sitting there, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us, Lord, as we enter into this Christmas season, Lord. Let our focus be upon you permanently, Father God, and look to you in all things. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for the work you're doing here at Ecclesia, and we pray that you would continue to work in and through us as we seek to serve you, as we seek to make you the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings of our lives, Father God. Let us have you reign in us, and not ourselves reign. Let us get off of the throne, Lord, and put you back where you belong. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.